to the ninth episode of Outsiders. My name is Julia Curtis Burns, and I am your host. And today I'm joined by Sarah Elise and Aura Wise. We are the co-collaborators for a catering company based in Brooklyn called Harvest and Revel. Awesome. Awesome. And one thing I always like to do is talk about terms and identity and things that we feel most comfortable identifying as. Do you both want to share anything about yourselves for this podcast? Sure. Um, I'm Sarah Elise, and I identify with she and her pronouns. And I do as well. And I do as well. (laughs) Awesome. So tell us a little bit about (laughs) how you came to create Harvest and Rebel and that whole process. I'm really interested in hearing about that. Cool. Um, So Harvest and Rebel was actually originally known as Bed-Stuy Kitchen. um, And I founded it around three years ago um, in my kitchen in Bed-Stuy. Um, Brilliant. Um, <laughs> right. um, we're in bed right now. Yeah, we're in bed I got right a little now. lost, but I made it. You made it. That's I what like matters. <laughs> um, and I was actually working in private wealth management, and I began cooking as a means of self-care and healing um, and discovering the ingredients around me from gardens in bed um, that I could elevate um, or actually just use in all of their glory and existence <laughs> naturally um, and share those ingredients with the people around me. Um, so I started hosting dinner parties and brunch, excuse me, brunches. Um, and I started hosting these events called seasonal tastings. Um, and then I started charging for the tickets and people were coming from all over Brooklyn. Um, and then they started asking if I could essentially host the seasonal tasting, but for them, for their birthday or for a brunch, um, which is basically private event catering. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I decided to uh, build a company and named it Bed-Stuy Kitchen. Um, And then Aura can talk about her background because she comes from this huge, intense food justice food focused education background. I thought you were saying this huge intense food family. <laughs> you do. She does come from a oh, huge intense food yeah. family as well. <laughs> I would say having my heritage um, on both sides, the either Italian or Jewish, there mm-hmm. was a, um, you know, it's basically we joked around saying every holiday the story was they tried to kill us, they didn't, let's eat. Um, wow. and, but also, not only was food throughout growing up for me, uh, a central gathering point in a way of expressing love, learning about the world, celebrating, mourning. Um, but also I was born and raised vegetarian, mm. um, and, uh, organic gardening. And so, um, I, all my life have, um, understood the process of growing food, making food, eating, preparing, you know, and eating food, um, to be, uh, one of the most important aspects of living um, and one that is touched by and touches everything. Mm. Religion, culture, politics, economics, science, history. 
um, is all touched by and touches food. So it's always been really central to my life. So, um, and, uh, I was before, um, fully working in the culinary world, um, which I've been doing for the, the past couple of years now. Um, I was a community educator doing mm. media based cultural education, um, uh, in Brooklyn and then in Detroit and also in refugee camps in the Middle East and, um, needed to do some self care and nourishing and exploring my creative self a little bit more. And, um, and so started, uh, a food politics and culture blog. Mm. Um, and then it went down South and, um, ran a shaved ice and popsicle stand using all organic and natural and as much local ingredients as possible down there. And then, um, came back to Brooklyn, which is my heart is and this, my home. Is this where both of you are from, born and raised in Brooklyn? Mm -mm. No. I have lived in Brooklyn for 14 years, okay. um, but was born in Jerusalem and then also grew up a lot in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. um, you... I was born in Maryland and then grew up all along the East Coast, um, lived in uh, the East Village and then moved to Brooklyn around six years ago. So, um, you know, sometimes I joke saying I'm trans-urban. I was born in the wrong city. Um, but so I really wanted to return. I was really enjoying it. It was very rewarding working with local farmers and um, even foragers to get some of the fruits I was using down there. But it wasn't my people. It wasn't my home. And so coming back here, it was really exciting and just the stars aligned because Sarah was looking to grow. And um, I just always feel like everything is done best collaboratively and mm -hmm. was um, I interested in in partnering with her and and merging our visions and and joining our energy um, and so that was a year and a half ago mm -hmm. and so we so you know Sarah um, told the the story of how um, she started the business out of her kitchen in Bedsty. So when I joined forces with her, it was as, as she said initially, Bedsty Kitchen. And then as we grew, um, we started cooking out of our friend's kitchen in Crown Heights, um, and it is a kitchen uh, similarly run by a woman, and you know, really committed to sourcing as much local and seasonal food as possible, really good um, values around labor and uh, really aligned. So it was very important for us to have that be our culinary home. Mm. Um, so uh, that along with the fact that who we are, people who love Brooklyn are deeply committed to it, um, are inspired by it. And Sarah lives in Bed-Stuy. I live right next door on the kind of on the crusp crown heights <laughs> cusp crust. the crusp and um, lingo. Like yeah that. exactly we're gonna have a pastry i'm gonna create called the crust and um and i uh, and so as people who live here are inspired by it um strive more and more to be um uh, members of the the multiple communities that all coexist here um in in healthy and productive ways. We don't want to, we started thinking about how we don't want to 
um, play into the gentrification of Bed-Stuy. And the branding of Bed-Stuy. In a way that doesn't benefit the original the original community members here um and doesn't help build the kinds of community that we want to build ones mm-hmm. that are um diverse and um accessible um which is uh, you know accessible culturally and economically um which was a concern we had that maybe being called bedside kitchen was was misrepresenting ourselves in a way that was actually supporting a process of let's be real, whitewashing mm. historically black Brooklyn or, you know, these historically black parts of Brooklyn um, in ways that we couldn't get down with. Mm-hmm. So Sarah can say a little bit about why we're really excited about our new name. Yes. Yeah. So our new name is Harvest and Revel. Um, and we chose that name because we think it really represents us in the sense that uh, we work with all natural ingredients um, in our catering company. And we work with ingredients from the earth and we elevate those ingredients to create dishes that we can then use to celebrate around with our friends, family, and community. Um, so it's essentially the two, two parts that come together. So harvesting the ingredients from the earth um, and nurturing ourselves uh, with them And in that process of nurture, we are also celebrating. So Mm. that's where rebel comes in, which actually means to celebrate around food or drink. Um, Yeah. Which is the name of our game. Yeah. (laughs) And like for us, we, uh, we believe in and know it's quite possible um, to have festive food that um feels indulgent and exciting in the moment and also feels good afterwards mm. um and like you don't have that feeling like oh my god i can't believe i eat that right. yeah or tired or sluggish yeah, or yeah tired sluggish regretful mm-hmm. like why is this the huge piece of chocolate yeah right, right. you yeah. can have party food <laughs> and still feel like partying <laughs> Yeah, mm. and that okay. and why okay. would you want to do anything else? Right. You know that cycle of indulging in these really, um, it, these foods that are intense in terms of whatever their ingredients are, or, or you know, um, not like not making us feel super energized is just such a, a bizarre dysfunction of our society. But we are all about reveling, yes. <laughs> all about revelry and, and partying. And, and so for us, it's just about, well, the things that go in our bodies should be as beautiful and, um, uh, you know, and delicious on all the levels, you know, right. where they come from, what they're made of, the process mm-hmm. through which they were made. And um, if we want to feel positive and we want to put, positive energy into our communities and our art and our relationships and all of that actually starts with our consumption. Mm. So what we eat each day um, and how we're eating it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And we believe that, you know, you should eat widely and for pleasure mm-hmm. that there's, there's often in people's minds, they have a health versus pleasure um, false uh, dichotomy mm-hmm. set up. And right. so for it's us, not a it's, binary. yeah, it's not, and there's also this misconception, I think, that healthy food is not affordable or it's not accessible to certain communities, right? So it's like, well, I don't know how to, I can't afford this. I can't go to Whole Foods or whatever it is. So I like that you are making it accessible for all communities. It sounds like. We, I mean, we strive to, like, we can, we can be real with you because it doesn't benefit us or our community 
to misrepresent the process. Mm-hmm. Like the food industry is so, so broken or it's not broken. Actually it was designed. The current <laughs> food system was designed to be so destructive and exploitative to certain groups. of people. Yeah. Mostly. That it actually is extremely difficult to make, um, you know, healthy, locally produced, uh, organic. Or, organic food, uh, economically accessible mm-hmm. to most people. It mm-hmm. actually is because all these different communities, original food traditions, so many of them have been destroyed by the, the industrialized food, you know, system that people then aren't of course growing their own food and making their own food, which are the ways in which that is most economical for people. Um, but ways that we have been able to, um, balance our need to be economically sustainable as a business for ourselves, which means to make a profit. Um, uh, the way that we've been able to balance that with, um, our vision of contributing to positive change in the food system um, is by doing things like taking on a more corporate client that has a lot of resources mm-hmm. and um, can you know pay a premium for the food and then um, being able to uh, use some of the food that we make to then do an event for free or way discount with, Uh-oh. you know, uh, communities of color doing different creative or healing work or yeah. housing work or schools. And like that. Yeah. schools. Yeah. So that's one of the ways that we've been able to do that. And the other thing is that we as a business have been really, really prioritizing hiring and mentoring and training up, um, women, queer and gender queer folks yes. and, um, pri- and prioritizing people of color, yeah. which in a white male dominated food industry, um, is unfortunately very rare. So then we're <laughs> creating a different space. And then the more, like you said, people have, cause there are certain things that are about people's aversions or impressions, you know, where they associate certain kinds of food with white bougie people and it's like no like handmade like artisan bread that just means like fresh baked handmade bread does not belong to yuppies actually people all over the world have and do Mm. make their own bread Mm, make their own pickles they did so before the bearded men of bushwick (laughs) got on to it you know yeah so thought that they were the pioneers in the field right (laughs) yeah so um which is, as Sarah knows, a particular sensitive thing for me because my father is actually an OG bearded man making pickles, like, oh, for decades and decades. But, um, but like, so the more that we're able to cultivate a certain level of professional skills and, um, you know, and to empower these young women of color in our community uh, in the culinary world, then the more they're able to bring the recipes and ingredients of their communities into um, into our work and the more that then, and so we learn from them and the more that, uh, they are able to bring whatever skills and knowledge back into their families and community. So how can you talk to me a little bit? So my background is in teaching. Um, I'm very, very big into empowering young women. So how do you set up your mentoring program? What does it look like? Um, we have an informal mentoring program, so it's not like, you know, we hire people with, and they have the 
you know, the expectation that they're going to be signing up for like mentorships, ships, shifts with us. Um, Although we have an apprentice, then we do have an apprentice, mm -hmm. um, and I base it basically just consists of us uh, working with her very closely um, and showing her the ins and outs of how to run. I mean, it's a small business; we're mm -hmm. a startup, mm -hmm. um, so showing her you know, how to run a business, which, I mean, she's a culinary school student, but she doesn't get a lot of that exposure in her school. Um, and then showing her things, I mean, and Aura can touch more on this, but basically things that happen in the kitchen um, during production that culinary school doesn't prepare you oh, for. Okay. Um, and all of the spontaneous things that happen with running a small business that going to college or university or culinary school doesn't prepare you for either. So you give her, like, the real world... Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of real-world hands-on experience. Yeah, and giving her and, and other staff tasks that then they're responsible for. So I'm sure... So having, they can take ownership of certain parts of the business. Mm. And then learning through that and then giving them feedback. So I'm sure having a background in education, you know that that cycle of like, uh, like basically... I mean, basically culinary work is perfect for project-based learning mm -hmm. because it's like they have a task and then we evaluate it and they reflect on it and we reflect on it together. I think another aspect of um, the mentorship um, that we kind of uh, prioritize in our work with our staff is having a real open flow of communication, a mm -hmm. lot of transparency we break down decision making. We give, you know, constructive criticism. We're very um, encouraging of them giving us feedback and them giving us ideas for, oh, here's a way. What if we do this differently? Because mm -hmm. um, we're still growing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Like that is our goal to constantly be growing. So we're just very transparent about that with everyone that we bring in. Like we're not a model of perfection uh, and we want your feedback so that us all of us as a collective can constantly be evolving and that um i think that 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 an important thing i would say one of the most special and uh perhaps contributing to our success so far aspects of sarah's and my partnership is we have um I will say that Sarah is so open to any feedback and we have really direct communication. So that's something I appreciate mm -hmm. in, in a partner is to be able to talk about everything and there's no ego, there's no rigidity. Um, and so we try to then, so we have that between us and we um, try to like cultivate that culture with our staff, which is also sadly very rare in professional mm -hmm. kitchens. There's this, they're still so often run, which is being unpacked a little bit more in the, the media recently, but they're still so often run in a like traditional, like really old school French militant structure. Condescending. <laughs> with a very strict hierarchy and the Aggressive. chefs. Is, yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no dialogue. Yeah, that um, just does not work for either of us. <coughs> yeah. So could you talk a little bit about what business partnership looks like for you? Do you divide the tasks evenly? Or, like, is one person in charge of going out and hosting the events? And then, How does that work? So the way that we 
break up our business is largely based on interests and skill set. So I, um, since I have a background in finance and marketing and creating small businesses, um, I essentially run most of the business aspects. That's not to say that Aura isn't involved at all because we really pride ourselves on being co-collaborators in every step of the process. Um, But I do handle a lot of the business, a lot of the interacting with clients, um, so client management, account management, um, sales, um, uh, staffing, uh, and then basically all of the like government, technical, tax, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the fun stuff like that um, that comes along with um, fun stuff. running a business. Yeah, that a lot of people forget about and forget takes a lot of work, but it's basically what is essential to having the business operate and be successful. Um, and then Aura actually... Um, since she does have a desire and passion and background more in culinary, um, she handle, she's the head chef of the company. Mm -hmm. So she does handle all of the food sourcing, which is a huge job because she's networking with different, um, would you call them farm hubs? Yeah. Distributors. Distributing, sourcing distributors. Um, and. So are these actual farms? farms that you work directly with they're basically hubs that work with different farms so they work personally with the farms yeah and then they source the ingredients from the farms into these hubs not the farms are all in Brooklyn okay yeah they're they're in New York York. yeah the hubs or the the hubs that we work with have things in Brooklyn um yeah so she handles a lot of the food sourcing Um, And she handles most of the menu creation and recipe testing. So when I talk to a client who's potentially interested and do all the paperwork and (laughs) stuff like that um, and have multiple, always multiple (laughs) calls with these clients um, to figure out what their needs are, then I go to Aura and I'm like, here are the details. What are some of your ideas for menus? Um, Uh, what are some of your menu ideas for dishes that are in season um, using ingredients that you know we're going to have in the kitchen during that time so she has a lot of moving parts that she manages um, in terms of the food and then she also handles the um, organization of the food production less for uh, kitchen production but like she said you know we collaborate on everything so it's about kind of who's the point person or the anchor um but then there's some things like you know I really trust her palate and she in the end her taste and vision are um uh, a part of it too so it's not like she doesn't you know give feedback and that's part of the fun of having such a intimate partnership is that we have a high level of trust in each other, but then um, are able to bounce ideas back and forth. Mm-hmm. And and right now, we've been saying, as we've been uh, expanding our team and bringing people on, it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation because we know where we'd like to be in a year, two years, five years in terms of being able to, as individuals, focus our energies on like just the things we're super passionate about or on being able to start new projects. Mm. You know, we're excited about eventually like doing a cookbook together or even having a space, you know, things like that. But right now it's kind of like, sometimes I got to meet with a client. Sometimes she's got to spend a day cooking in the kitchen, like, because we are a team. And so, um, which I think ultimately strengthens the business because yeah. we've touched all of the parts of it right. and it's so 
fully ours. Right. And you're really able to handle every aspect of it, right? Because you yeah, it makes us it yeah, it makes us your business super strong. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Is there? This is just a curiosity of mine. Is there a signature ingredient that you use in each dish that you prepare? Paprika. Yeah, <laughs> really. Paprika. Yeah, we oh. love paprika. So it's in everything. It's pretty, pretty much. I mean, not we sweet things. things. Yeah. Although, who knows? Yeah, maybe that. sometimes a sprinkle of paprika. Mean, yeah. We do. We do use that a lot. Um, I would say it's a, a something we swear by, um, and I mean, we use in our sweet stuff. We tend towards a lot of dates, mm-hmm. and that's a big. Uh, you know, it's that earthy sweetness that isn't, um, you know, it's just richer and deeper than, um, than like refined sugar. Yeah. Um, so. And then like, it depends on the season, but like we definitely use a lot of beets, a lot of carrots, a lot of lentils, a lot of onions. Yeah. Like basic, you know, we're using, we don't, you, because we, um, our cooking is shaped by the place we're in and the season we're in for the most part. And because we also are a small business trying to make natural food accessible and affordable mm-hmm. for ourselves and others, then we are like Sarah's just saying, using a lot of, we're not using a lot of specialty imported ingredients to make, you know, we're making stuff super flavorful and beautiful with, locally grown, more humble ingredients sometimes like beets and carrots or lentils and they can be incredibly filling. We have a lent- and incredibly elegant. Yeah, we have a lentil pate that we make with walnuts and um, lentils uh, that we serve on toast with then a parsley cream and a little pickled red onion and it's got a lot of You're talking of to my soul. <laughs> well, we had clients who were in the Hamptons and we're like, is this liver pate? Like, it tastes exactly like some, you know, I mean, they were like, what? And we're like, yeah, it's lentils and onions. <laughs> you know, it's walnuts. Like, so, um, you know, we do a lot of work with that. But, of course, you know, we I think we've, we love nuts. Mm-hmm. We love us some nuts. Yeah, um, what's the favorite, your favorite nuts you've cooked with? We were just talking about how magical cashews are because mm-hmm. they make everything insanely creamy. Right. Mm-hmm. But in baked goods and stuff, I really like pecans. And they're indigenous to North America, mm-hmm. which is nuts. Mm-hmm. And super nutritious. They have, like, more micronutrients than a lot of the other nuts so mm-hmm. I mean and then we love pine nuts but they're so expensive so we love to eat them special for ourselves yeah. <laughs> special for only us so when you guys just like cook you know them, it's special for us yeah <laughs> we make a lot I would say also a signature thing for us is sauces mm-hmm. um they enhance the flavor the color they add another layer to every dish um, and they make dishes extremely accessible for most people because people who do have anxiety about cooking, um, mm-hmm. you know, you can just get one of our sauces. This isn't promo. No. <laughs> but you can seriously you can just get promo. one of our get one of our sauces and then throw it on, you know, um, some quinoa or some lentils or a piece of fish or, or a piece of fish that you have at home and then now you have, you know, a dinner, a weeknight dinner. So it's extremely flavorful and good for you. Right. And that's the thing also is being like, you know, we just um, wrote a piece 
Uh, for elixir, elixir, and um, and featured in elixir, love Love elixir. Thanks for what you do, elixir. Um, (laughs) and we talked about how there's no there's no secret trick to eating well, Mm. um, regularly, uh, other than putting the time and effort in. It, it does take time. So, like what Sarah was saying, ways that we as busy, multitasking people um, make sure that we eat flavorful, nourishing, exciting, because that's also important food on the regular is with things like sauces that then we can mix and match with mm. things. So we often, I, one of our signature things is romesco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then is, pesto's using every ingredient every, that we have in the walk I know yesterday, like today I brought, I was like, um, here's this uh, pesto question mark quotation <laughs> I made with some things yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, so pestos and um, we make, it seems like you might be a big fan of what we, for a, a tween music launch event we just did, we mm-hmm. recently coined the term for it, um, pink party dip, mm-hmm. which is actually roasted beets with yogurt and za'atar, which is a, a Lebanese spice blend and uh, it's delicious. Yes, yeah, and it's bright fuchsia. Mm. So say it's like it's a party. You put a little, we garnish it with a little scallion and crumbled feta, and it literally looks like a party. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a party in my mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are some things that you've learned along the way so far in your entrepreneurial journey and adventure? I would say. Uh, to always be open to change and growth. I think a lot of reasons that small businesses fail um, have to do with the fact that different opportunities came up along the way that may have not fit with the owner's original plan or original goal for the business. Um, So they're very quick to turn things down because it doesn't fit into the structure that they had envisioned. Um, So I think just flexibility and being really open to um, changes as the business grows is really important for the business to grow, Um, for us to really keep up with the trends and the times and the market and how things are changing around us, Um, and to just really also be able to garner the best talent as well, um, which is also imperative for a business's success. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like your idea, uh, which you should be very committed to, but it's like your the chemistry of your idea plus reality mm-hmm. plus who responds to your idea and their unique, as Sarah said, like strengths mm. or ideas of their own equals what you then end up doing. Right. And, mm. and I would say, I would add to that also um, being patient with yourself in the process. Don't judge yourself. Um, based on where you're at in re- in relation to where you want to be. Like, think of yourself as who you want to be and, you know, keep um, in touch with your ultimate vision for mm-hmm. how you want to grow individually or you want your project or your business to grow and then be able to accept and be patient with some of the steps you'll be in along the way. Sort of embracing your journey, embracing your struggle. Yeah, which can, you know, I, I feel like I've found 
Sarah to be a great partner in helping me through some of that. Sometimes these moments where I've, I slipped into like uh, judging myself against where I ultimately want to be and not being patient enough or appreciative enough with mm -hmm. what I'm achieving at the current step in the process. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for both of you to be women having your own business? Um, I think it just goes along with what Aura touched on before, um, especially in the culinary industry. Most businesses are male-owned and white male-owned, mm -hmm. and the industry is very dominated by white men. Um, so I think it's especially important for us to be here as two women um, co-collaborating on this um, business idea and make hopefully making change um, around our community um, and showing other younger women who, or just younger people who don't identify with the white male dominated industry leaders that, you know, if they're interested in pursuing a culinary career, you know, this is a path that they could take and they can be successful. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're just redefining what you know, the industry looks like for us, we're redefining what success looks like for us, we're redefining the way that, you know, people interact in kitchen spaces, you know, we're just basically going in and redefining everything and showing people coming after us that it's cool to redefine your entire life mm. and it's cool to redefine any industry you <laughs> enter, That's just right. do it work. and be confident and you can make it work. That's right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going along with that what makes your business and both of you as individuals and as business partners innovative um i think that uh our pretty uncompromising commitment to um really 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 intentional local, seasonal, organic, or all natural um, ingredients is not necessarily innovative in terms of like some, like something being created new, but actually given how tight the profit margins of the food industry is, are, um, uh, it's an area that most food businesses end up compromising on. Um, and, uh, and we totally get that. And we have so far been able to commit to that on a really deep and high level, which feels really important to us. Um, and, uh, and I also, as we were saying before, I think it actually is a very special thing we're building here that I'm excited to see where it's going to go in terms of being... Um, uh, you know, this multicultural, uh, gender diverse, cooperatively run, um, food business. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that, that non-hierarchical, um, structure and that more collaborative culture, um, and it being based in, um, 
based in and led by a diverse team of women or mostly women is um, definitely I'm excited to see um, the space that um, we carve out in the culinary world and see what the impact there could be. Um, you know, we're excited to do things like feature recipes from the different communities um, of our staff members, um, excited to start having, mm -hmm. even we haven't done this yet, but we're, an idea we had was to have actually like some kind of regular, I mean, I don't know if monthly is realistic, but some kind of regular like brunches where we actually build community together. And um, even Sarah's and my relationship is an, is an innovation in a certain way because mm. we have um, a, a deep friendship and kind of like partnership in life that goes beyond business. Um, and so to have that kind of level of humanity um, and that and the relationship we have with um, 1136, which is um, the kitchen we cook out of, the company um, whose kitchen we cook out of, the fact that we are acting as allies and, and kind of kitchen roommates with each other and, and partnering and supporting each other um, rather than acting like competitors um, is also actually uh, pretty unique and I think innovative. Mm -hmm. So you have your own business. You are friends in real life. How <laughs> do you in surreal life? <laughs> How do you successfully manage a work-life balance? Do you? Is it something you struggle with? I think Aura struggles with it a little more than I do. <laughs> I take on too many projects. Because she overextends herself. Um, I think. For me, um, working in banking and then in private wealth management, um, I never really had much of a work-life balance because I was working very long hours and then because I wasn't happy would basically spend all of my life mm. like doing party activities that should <laughs> escape talked about life. now right. <laughs> escaping my life um, <laughs> so uh, in creating um, harvest and revel I really wanted to make sure that I was creating a space where um, work-life balance would always be prioritized no matter how busy we are I mean there's times where you know we have three events in two days and we really just need to buckle down and get things done um, but the thing is is it's great because catering is also a cyclical business. So there are periods of rest where we can regenerate and recharge um, more than other times. Um, and, you know, I think the nature of the business provides us with, you know, kind of a work-life balance in itself. Mm. Um, and then I think that's been more of a struggle for her because she does overextend herself in a lot of, um, with a lot of projects and stuff, but it's also something we're trying to learn. Instead of prioritizing the glorification of busy, we're trying to really sit back and say, okay, I could have a business meeting now and then send out these 10 client booking packages. But you know what? Like, I want to go to yoga. Mm. So that's something that I encourage Aura to do. And like, if, you know, it comes down to the fact that I can send out business documents or go to yoga. Like, I'm going to choose yoga if that's what I feel like I need to do. And the clients can wait. You know, we love our clients, but they can wait because our self-care comes first. And that's definitely something that um, we enforce and try to prioritize whenever possible. Yeah, when I 
when I started working in food full time, I was very, I, I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want to internalize the industry standards of, you know, just like working till you drop, like becoming a zombie lunatic. Um, and then somewhere along the way when, you know, we were working really hard to build the business, um, uh, and it's very high stress, uh, in terms of, you know, cooking is very intense physical labor. And especially when you're cooking at a scale, um, you know, on a large scale. Um, and so somewhere along the way, there were moments where I forgot that I was, my intention was not to, um, uh, become a zombie lunatic. Uh, and then, but, right, but I feel like even when you forget to give yourself oh, some credit, yeah. because when Aura forgets, she's still kind and is still like mm. the person that you'd want to work with in the kitchen, mm. as opposed to like everyone else in the industry when they forget. It's like right working for Satan. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was more with the different. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but like more internally. And so it, we did, like, I feel like over the past year it's been a learning process and um and even though it's true as Sarah said like I I'm also currently like helping coordinate this group of food industry folks like chefs and general managers and some farmers and other food industry folks uh I'm coordinating this group of us studying issues of sustainability Mm -hmm. and hosting kind of every month and a half or so salons where there's like readings and discussions on practical solutions to sustainability issues in our food businesses. So that's like a whole extra project. So there, there are ways in which I, um, I overextend myself, but still I have over the past year or so, um, been really grateful for the fact that I have uh, a business partner for whom it, you know, self-care is equally important. And so there's an understanding between us that if I need to go to yoga in the morning, that's like not me flaking on my job where I, if we were working with different people, that might not be the case that we have a share or, you know, if one of us needs to take a weekend to go away or something and we're working remotely, you know, texting or email, that that's something we support each other in doing. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference. Like whenever I start to feel freaked out, I have that reminder from her and, you know, when she needs to get away, I can hold it down, you know? So that having that, um, shared value of of uh self-care and balance even if we're we you know we still have to strive it but the fact that we're just striving for that balance um is is hugely important striving for it every day it's really important definitely yoga has become more important to me than it ever was before so do you both do yoga daily Mm, no we both practice yoga but I, I mean, on, except for if it's like a marathon week, like what she was describing, I, I probably do yoga three times, maybe four times when I'm living my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I try to go to the gym every day. Um, but that equates to like four times a week. <laughs> and then I probably go to yoga once a week. Yeah. That's still great. For me, it's but... like, it helps me, um, with the, like, breathing and quieting my brain um that I that has become increasingly important and just being able to to see people one of the things that um which like doesn't happen for most startup people or or um 
chefs in particular that like they just never see anyone um and that's something we prioritize and wait when you say never see anyone meet you mean like making time after work to meet up with friends yeah because you're exhausted okay so the fact that we prioritize that i think is significant that we prioritize nurturing our other relationships Mm -hmm. still that's really important is is definitely and being able to like be creative and have some life outside of the business is there a book that you've read recently or uh, something, a quote or some mantra that you would have that's inspired you recently? Um, a book that I always recommend to people um, that I reread all the time is called The Four Agreements. Um, you're shaking your head like you... I haven't read it, but I keep, oh, yeah. people keep recommending it to me. Yeah, it's really wonderful, um, and he basically, the author lays out um, in layman's terms, like, basically these agreements that'll help you live your best life mm. um, and help you present and feel like your best self. Um, it's really easy to read and simple and um, wonderful, and that gave me a lot of inspiration when I was making the decision, the final decision to leave Um banking um Mm -hmm. and kind of just figuring out like if I take this risk then what like what if I completely fail and then I you know can't live anywhere and then I have to you know I don't know yeah (laughs) I don't even know what the worst (laughs) outcome is but um that gave me a lot of confidence in pursuing um what I felt like and feel like now is my destiny and I was just telling Sarah that there's a book called You're a Badass um, by, mm-hmm. I think her name is Jen Sincero, mm. and it is so helpful, like concrete strategies delivered with wit and style um, for, you know, believing in yourself and making positive changes. But to balance that out with some culinary stuff, I would say that I always recommend The Third Plate by Chef Dan Barber. Or Cooked. Um, or Cooked <coughs> by Michael Pollan. Or both. Um, ideally both. Um, the third plate is kind of, uh, just a really beautiful, he's a great storyteller and a really beautiful, um, exploration of how we need to evolve our ways we think of eating, Mm. um, so as to make them more sustainable, um, and involves just lots of, like I said, beautiful storytelling about food and um and beyond what does sustainability mean for you both what does that look like i mean for me in terms of food current food system is exploitative and destructive it is based on um uh, exploiting the earth exploiting um people Mm. um exploiting land um and water extracting 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 and in the process of course destroying destroying you know communities destroying entire species destroying ecosystems um and so uh, a a more sustainable food system is one that is not based on just extraction but also based on feeding back so that there's more and participation actually within the cultural systems that are already in place so instead of just taking 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 like how are you participating 
how are you giving? Mm. Mm. And and so there's like there's a parallel between uh, the kind of cultural and social uh, behavior that Sarah was just saying and the ecological um, relations, right? So um, that we try to work with farmers who um, are act as like stewards of their land and actually don't just um, uh, extract from the soil, but give, give it rest, feed back nutrients into it. Um, and that, and that means that, you know, certain ingredients aren't always available to us. So like in menu creation, we'll have a menu for a client that we create and then it has to change, you know, before the event, because the ingredient that we used on the menu wasn't actually available from this particular farmer because it wasn't necessarily sustainable for them to make available at that time. Mm-hmm. So it means, again, being flexible. Right. Being adapting. And that we, we've we grown accustomed because of, like, supermarkets and, um, uh, you know, flying things around the world in mass production. We've grown accustomed to be able to, like, get whatever you want whenever we want it. So, mm-hmm. like, I want strawberries. It's January, and I live in New York. Like, so you get some extremely flavorless watery strawberries that have been grown somewhere far away using a lot of chemicals or whatever and so for us like a more sustainable way of eating is learning more about what is available where you are at that time or like we're not only you know we use lemons and limes and we use coconut oil you know and stuff that are olive oil things that can't grow in new york but we definitely try to use as much as possible from here and then get those things still from producers in those other countries or other states um, who have similar values and, and relationships to the, the ecosystems they're a part of. Um, so more sustainable ways of eating are you know, paying attention more to where things are coming from and learning more um, what's in season and also then being adaptable. As Sarah said, you know, more and more, the more that climate change messes with all our crops and everything, the more people are going to have to, um, it's not just about saying, okay, now we should eat kale and then everyone only eats kale. Or now, you know, we should eat quinoa. Right, because actually that's not helpful. Like, what we need to do is pay attention to, like, what's plentiful and eat the things that that are plentiful. But then that might change. Then in a few months, if we're talking about, like, seafood, in a few months something else is what actually is more plentiful. And we need to give that other thing a rest, you know. But that's – that Americans in particular have become so used to just mass – oversimplified like kind of knowledge about food Mm. that that kind of nuance and changing and adapting is something people are really resistant to or not not accustomed to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so before we close um if there is a young woman out there who is interested in starting her own catering business what is one piece of advice that she has her idea, but maybe she's scared to take that leap. Um, I would first urge her to check her idea. <laughs> Not okay. because I don't want to encourage young women to enter the catering business, but I think 
You know, with social media, everyone thinks that starting a business and maintaining a business and having a profitable profitable business is a lot easier than it may appear to be um, on Instagram or Facebook when people are like taking pictures in their commercial kitchen. Um, so I would urge her to talk to people who already have catering businesses um, and uh, ask her to figure out where she thinks her strengths and weaknesses lie. So maybe she's really into cooking and because of that she wants to start a catering business, but that's not all that catering businesses encompass. Um, there's a whole other business side that she also needs to be really savvy in and have a passion um, for, because if not, then the business isn't going to be sustainable. Um, and I think that's where a lot of young people, um, or all people who are interested in cooking get, um, a little messed up because they think that because they're interested in cooking, that means they should start a business. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, so I would urge her to talk to different mentors in the industry who already have businesses that are up and running. She can come and talk to us. Okay. <laughs> and we'll put their information in the notes so you can contact them. Yeah, contact us. Um, and, you know, then moving from there. I would say also, yeah, to um, think about where does she fit in in the landscape. So mm -hmm. for for me, I'm always thinking with anything I want to do, and I think for us, when we think about our business, you know, what is needed? What's right. already what's out there? what's unique about our business? Yeah. Mm -hmm. what's, so she can think about, um, okay, there are a lot of other catering companies out there. Why does the world need a, another one? Well, maybe it's because, like, the kind of food she wants to um, provide is not out there, mm -hmm. not as much, or the kind of events she wants to do, or, you know, so there, that, to think about, like, what is unique and what is what niche or what void is there to be filled? Okay, last question. I know it's a thing. <laughs> right now, what is inspiring you? Right, because not this weather. <laughs> I know. I'm I know this weather is now. What's inspiring us? Tropical fruit. Right. Yeah. The ideas of vacations. <laughs> um, I think. And I, I think I can speak for Aura in this, too. Like, we both find a lot of inspiration from our personal relationships mm. around us. Because I think, um, I mean, Aura growing up and also when I first started cooking, like, it was to nurture familial and, you know, relationships with partners and stuff like that. Um, and that's always, that type of cooking always inspires us to want to try new things um, make new dishes so that we can feed them to people that we love. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's usually where I find a lot of my inspiration is cooking for my partner and different friends and um, stuff like that and inviting people over for warm, cozy nights around yummy food, even in this cold, mm -hmm. cold winter. <laughs> I know, I know. And I think also I can, I can maybe add to that, speaking for both of us, still that in terms of something maybe beyond the culinary, um, I think we're both really inspired by what's going on culturally in our city and in the country in terms of, to be honest, like Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and like this, this confronting, kind of like confronting the U.S. in all of its 
ignorance and racism and all of its exploitativeness and destructiveness with all this life and creativity and empowerment mm. and to feel like we're a part of communities that are like actualizing themselves yeah. and we're surrounded by people who are just like making things pop right. and that is I feel like and confronting these systems that you know we work hard to also confront like in terms of the food system yeah. on the day-to-day -day. awesome well thank you so much for this beautiful conversation and for sharing with me and with the listeners all about what you do it's very inspiring and I appreciate it and I'll be back next week with another episode but until then, feel inspired, be yourself, and take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. Thanks Bye. for having us. Mm -hmm.